Welcome to the Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Amanda Clute, Eater's Editor-in-Chief. I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Janine. Hi, Dan. Hi, Amanda Clute. How are you? Doing well. What do we What do we have for our listeners today? Well, it is the day after New Year's. Sure well, is. Or we're recording it ahead of time, but it will You're be the day. You're blowing up my spot. It will be the day after New Year's. We're actually not in the studio on New Year's. Uh so we wanted to talk a little bit about trends, what we've seen a lot of over 2017, what we think is going to stick around in 2018. So we are bringing in a wild cast of And characters. whether or not we're happy about them. Whether or not we're happy about them. What trends mm-hmm. are cool, what trends suck. Spoiler, I'm going to talk about axe throwing bars. And if you uh, like this podcast, as always, please subscribe, like, share it with your friends, tell your enemies. Spread it around. Spread, Spread it, around. it around like... like- no. Nope. Like locks on a bagel. All right, yeah. What did you think I was going to do? I don't know. Something more crude? <laughs> no, just something like unappetizing. No. Right. Appetizing and analogies only here on the Eater Upsell. <laughs> First up, we want to talk to our New York-based reporters and editors, Serena Dye and Stephanie Tudor. You may remember them from previous episodes of the Upsell. Yeah. We're glad to have them back. Serena and Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. We're going right. to talk some trends. Dan and I thought of some trends, and we divided them into different buckets. One is design. One is themes, like themes of bars. Mm-hmm. And then one is just food stuff. Mm-hmm. So, Where do you want to start? Axe-throwing bars. Oh, man. I noticed that Montreal has an axe-throwing bar. New York just got an axe-throwing bar. And there's one in Detroit and Charlotte. What have you guys heard about this Brooklyn axe-throwing bar? I, so I actually had a friend invite me to the new Brooklyn Axe Throwing Bar because before they had their grand opening, they had this like free session. But he said he'd apparently done it, and and I, like many people, was aghast that mm. aghast aghast. I was I was perturbed that you like drink during the axe throwing, which doesn't yeah, seem quite it's safe. horrifying. Yeah, that's horrifying. And so I, I think told they him, limit you to a drink an hour though. He had done axe throwing in Texas for a bachelor party, mm-hmm. so this was like a big bachelor party activity. And he showed me this picture of him with like a bunch of people at the bar, and he's like bright red. He's it's like Asian glow. I'm like, you were so drunk in this picture. <laughs> so I don't know. That's, and I, I didn't go. I ended up not going to it. I thought it was okay. maybe a reaction to like the communal rage that we're all feeling. Like you want to just go and throw an axe. But maybe not. Oh, I like that. I think it's like people who like dart boards and they're how can we pump right. this up? How do we make it ridiculous? even bigger? <laughs> yeah. Well, activities are really hot. Everyone wants to like gather with their friends and do a thing on the weekend. I mean, we got shuffleboard last year or two years ago. That's true. That's true. We did get shuffleboard. That is true, because otherwise you're bars. just... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Korean barbecue. Yeah. I mean, I think that speaks a little bit about how, um, I don't know, reaction to the internet and being texting right. and messaging, and people are always so connected that having an extra, extra thing at a space gives it like, this. here's a reason we actually are getting together, because otherwise if we're just sitting in a bar, theoretically yeah, we're just talking. Be doing our group chat anyway. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of plays <laughs> into just another do this group chat. <laughs> <laughs> I could be in my PJs. <laughs> Sorry, Steph, go another, ahead. I was trying to stay on topic. <laughs> okay, moving on. Yeah. I think a different end of the spectrum. Well, Stephanie had one. Kind of just playing into the whole activity thing is theatrics at restaurants and table oh, side. Oh, yes. Which another we've big seen trend. a lot this year. And do you guys want to want to see more of that next year? Hell yeah. Big fans. I'm into it. I like that, too. I kind of like it. I think I went to one place where it was super theatric, and then the food was not good. Mm. And so yeah, I was like, mm. 
You gotta back just, it up. Yeah, you gotta mm-hmm. be able to. That's fair. To back it up. You gonna name names? <laughs> um, it was a pl- Indian, a new Indian place this year. What was the theatric? What was the the gimmick? They had some. Chi- they lit some chicken on fire, and they also uh, had some sort of appetizer. And they brought it down on like a giant bike. I guess <laughs> they had like <laughs> like like a pl- no, giant meaning like it was it was a plate th- type thing, but yeah. it was a huge bike thing, and there was a tiny plate on top of the bike, and they had like maybe four little fritters on there or something. Yeah. And, it was just, it was, it was yeah. No. <laughs> I was like, you just have like ten of these bikes. <laughs> but on the other end of the spectrum is the grill. Yeah, yeah. they bother. They bo- do a great job. Oh, you don't like it? I don't like it when they like the duck press is what we're talking about, right? When they bring over the wheel over the huge. They do the prime things, rings, but, yeah. lambe. I don't like it when when the when the servers are like, do you want to get your phone out now? Like it's about oh, to happen. Yeah. <laughs> But that's, I think the majority of people are like, yes, I do want to get my phone thank out Thank you for now. being so courteous. Yes. That struck me about Ryan's review of the aviary, which I hadn't been to yet, is that all the cocktails seem theatrical mm-hmm. and the wait staff are like, okay, I'm, I'll gram it for you. It's like, <laughs> oh, God, you're so conscious of this. Yeah, it feels like a, a show, away. I don't know, p- performative in a way that makes it, oh, this I'm just here. I'm a yeah, sheep. Performative in a, marketing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe it, it will have a, a deep, I don't know. Instagram-friendly stuff hasn't really died off yet, so maybe it'll... But it also seems to be going to every level. If, like, the aviary and the grill Mm. are very conscious of Instagram, it's not just those Mm -hmm. stupid, like, low-level rainbow food places. What about champagne bars? Oh, actually, that's interesting, because I moved here from San Francisco this year, and... It's a nationwide thing, I think. Yeah, like they have the Riddler in SF. Yeah, that and seems to still be doing really well. Okay, wh- what's here. a champagne bar? Just like a bar that only has champagne. The the main theme is champagne. Like that's their big marketing thing. Is like, is like come fountain? here. Hmm? There's like a fountain. No, though the Riddler does have a gimmick. The what's it called? The Chambong. Chambong, which is like you shoot champagne. Yeah, it's like thing. a curved champagne flute that when you pour it in, it shoots it into your mouth. Dan, haven't you used one of those in the office? I think someone sent us one. Oh, you know what it is, then. I pretend not to know what the champagne is. Sorry, I thought you were asking. Okay, yeah. Who among the four of us has most likely used champagne bars? So are we happy about champagne bars? What's good about a champagne bar? And why do you think they are now? I think it's cool because it it spotlights, like, grower champagne, which is the more... um, boutique champagnes versus like most lists just have like Vouv or or Moet or whatever and it's it's very expensive and it's not as cool and unique and champagne bars you can kind of go deep on that mm-hmm. and they'll have a lot of by the glass available which is yeah. unusual and they're promoting it as like an everyday drink versus just for special occasions oh reclaiming champagne yeah see mm-hmm. And everyone likes bubblies, I mm-hmm. think. Seltzer is very popular. Again, it's kind of an event as well, though. Also, these yeah. bars are kind of unapologetically geared toward women. Mm-hmm. And women are women are going. They're going. <laughs> yeah. It's hot. <laughs> Let's go to, okay, so we'll go to design. Uh, Stephanie, you prepared us a very visual slideshow for our audio show here on Blue Banquettes. You're welcome. Do you want to talk us through some of these photographs? <laughs> we, we'll put it on the site. We'll do a story just say for you, Dan. <laughs> blue, all the photos of Blue Banquettes. So what is a, a Blue bank? What is a Blue Banquette? It's like a, a booth? Yeah, it's like a long booth that you can sit at that curves, and it's popping up at restaurants all over New York City. And they're all eerily similar and kind of came at the same time, which is really interesting. I mean, I think everyone kind of visualizes bistros in New York as 
per Keith McNally of Balthazar fame as kind of like the Red Banquette. Mm-hmm. It's the cool place to sit. And I think we've seen kind of a turn toward mid-century design. And I think the Blue Banquette kind of plays right into that. So where are you seeing these? Well, you're seeing them everywhere from as high end as 11 Madison Park, all the way down to a new cafe that opened in Soho called Limercery. So mm. it's really everywhere. And and it's it's just weird how these things kind of just zeitgeist at the same time. Yeah. Like Nishi and 11 Madison Park both did their renova- renovations mm-hmm. this year, and they both debuted with like identical blue. <laughs> right, like cats. at the same the same week. Yeah, it was it was very interesting. And um, I mean, they look. They look really pretty. You put a little, hope you put some gold accents and some dark wood next to them, and you feel good. Yeah, I think you're right. It is a mid-century modernish vibe that they're alluding to. Which I think, if you read Curbed and Racked, there that's just what it's so much cool. design is right now. So we're kind of lukewarm on them. Good with them. Blue yeah, cats. I'm I have into no them. problem with them at all. Mm-hmm. I like sitting on them. Yeah. <laughs> have nice. sat on them. Give me some champagne have, have on a blue big cat, and I'm good. 2018, here we come. <laughs> uh, one thing I noticed is neon accents in furniture. So that's something that when I look at eater insides across the country, I've noticed pop up where it's like a normal looking place, and then the bar stools would be like neon pink, neon yellow, neon green. Uh, oh, so they're then, not glowing, but they're like. No, 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 but they're okay. colors. But also. It made me think of the neon signs you see everywhere, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know if it's connected or not. It's like neon cursive writing. Neon cursive writing is a big thing, and also just neon accents around furniture. Serena, you've talked to me about neon accents or neon signs on walls before. Yeah, they're everywhere. Everywhere from fast food chains to upscale Korean barbecue, like Coat has them. They're really yeah. hopping off. Um, they always yeah. say something like, live today like it's your last. <laughs> I know, I think there's one that that's like baby or something. You know, baby. I don't know, Maggiano baby is the one at that new mm-hmm. uh, pasta place that's like a fast casual thing. Oh, and then the ones that like Chacha Macha, which is maybe one of the most Instagrammable places. Like you can yeah. go in there, it's literally built for people to take photographs of it. Um, and they have, not only do they have a neon sign, they have a living wall, so like a wall that's just green plants, mm. and so, which is another... Perfect. I, I, I sat there for like an hour one day, and so many people came by and just held their um, <laughs> held their cup up against the wall, and then like had their phone, and then you can just go on, you know, go to the Instagram location page. Looks, uh, it's all just looks like that. I, I mean, they're they're kind of they're kind of cute. I admit that they're charming, but at the same time, anything that is literally built for Instagram at a restaurant, I, I'm kind of disdainful of. It's like, oh, this is. It's pretty wild though that this social media can influence business decisions that people are making and. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in two of our trends now, we've already said it's for Instagram. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Do you think it's done now that no. it's so widespread? Do you think people are going to stop or do you think it's still... Maybe maybe neon accents are done, but the idea of, of framing a wall or framing a space so that it's easily shareable or easily transferable... I think it'll continue, but then we'll, they'll, they'll, there'll be another mm-hmm. There'll be something else. Yeah. Swings. <laughs> there are already some swings. Dan called it swings. <laughs> yeah, the new Kellogg's Cafe has hammocks. See? There Wait, okay. Go. I'm going to call you out, Dan, because Hit you me. went into a new fast casual restaurant and texted me and, and was, were giving me an analysis of it. And you said that the swing at that one was not as good as the swing at By Chloe, <laughs> suggesting <laughs> to me that you had made an analysis of both swings. I just I thought in terms of how, how easy it would be to boomerang, the trajectory of the swing at, <laughs> at Broken Pineapple was, was not as consistent as, as the one at, at Chloe. And it was not as cute a swing. 
So they were they were taking a swing at the champ, and I think they missed. Dan Janine, our cute swing correspondent. <laughs> and, um, what of like seven out of ten swing ability, boomerang ability, on the swing. Actually, it would be a funny little Instagram slideshow to go sit on all the swings in the city. Um, yeah, that's an assignment. You gotta do it. Okay, on it, guys. All right, so should we move on to food? Yeah, yeah. Serena, you wrote a piece just last week. Trend about piece. Trend piece. Fried squash rings. Oh man, what's yes. the deal? Where are they? What is it? Everywhere. They're everywhere. They're very uh, hip. So they're basic. They basically <laughs> look like onion rings. They thinly slice delicata squash, which is the kind that has like cute little collar around it when you slice it. So they're very adorable. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes they do tempura and other different different restaurants do various fries on them. But um, a lot of seasoning, so it feels very fall, like an easy fall snack. And fried foods are generally pretty good so I think it kind of works so the one close to our that I've had is close to our office Fuku so it's kind of that's kind of like the fast food version where it really is just like a trying to do a take on an onion ring they have them like at Olmstead which is kind of a fancy neighborhood restaurant and I think it's like eight dollars and you get four of them but our co-worker Sonia ate them and said they were fantastic yeah but speaking of gimmicks they come on a little tree they they kind of look like everything bagels a yeah. little bit with like a bigger hole um yeah but there but then every from there and then you know, they, they have restaurants have done this before like i found this article from 2010 that said abc kitchen had been serving these these godfather rings. of trendy food right mm-hmm. right um but they don't have on the menu anymore as far as i can tell and then just in the last few months um independently all these restaurants were all serving them at the same time in or out I'm in. I'm into it. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Pro. I'm pro. We're like yeah. at the, I, I think it's kind of like we're in the early to mid stages of this trend. So we're not tired of it yet. I have a theory about this trend. I think people just like fried food that's marginally healthier than a potato. It's kind of why like sweet potato yeah, fries not? popped off a couple years ago. Like, yeah, they're also seasoned. So mm-hmm. I, I, I like I prefer seasoned fries to regular fries frequently. And so if, if you're a nice restaurant, you feel like you're upscaling a little bit. If you add some like paprika <laughs> to the batter. All right. Well, keep killing it, restaurants. Um, <laughs> what about Detroit pizza? Is, is that happening We're more at, here, I... or is it just Emmy squared and that's it? I think there's always been delicious breadier pizzas in New York, and people love pizza here so much that anytime anybody can find a slightly different take on mm-hmm. it, like we're going to grab at it, and it's going to be really popular. And you know what? It works. They're all they're all right. Every different, slightly variation, maybe not. Like I don't think it's that significantly different from a grandma slice that yeah. you get somewhere, mm-hmm. and that they're square, they're thick. But I think that any different variation of pizza, every anytime anyone does something even slightly different for a pizza people yeah. are going to flock to it because people just love pizza as a category of food and any kind of variety of it if you're doing it well yeah. what, what's what weird about this is it's spread across the country like so intensely it's now an over like almost all of our eater cities now have a detroit style pizza place that's opened in the last year and we do every year we do an end of the year kind of review and we ask questions of insiders and food media in the cities um, the New York critic Robert Sitsimo, when we asked him what's a word that described the dining scene, his was desperate, which I really like. <laughs> um, and I feel like the spread of Detroit-style pizza really is encapsulated by that word because it's like these people are desperate for this winning, like anything. R- profit-worthy concept, and Emmy Squared just took off so wildly that I think people are like, yes, Detroit-style pizza, like that's what we're going to put on our menu. And so I'm a little disdainful of it from that angle. Mm. That reminds me of hot chicken yeah where like hot chicken was a thing in this one place and then all of a sudden someone 
took it elsewhere and it became this trend and now it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And poke. Oh, yes. And poke. Another desperate attempt. Yeah. <laughs> Are poke places starting to close? Yes. So, I think so, yeah. So they're on the way out? Oversaturation. I actually don't, th- I, I don't know how many have closed, but I feel like it's such an easy salad alternative for lunch that a lot of them are going to end up sticking around. Yeah, it's not going to go away. Yeah. I think people like it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like trendy foods come in and out. And I have this thing, like, for example, I love Greek yogurt. For a while, it was, like, the hottest thing. And the problem is once a food doesn't become trendy anymore, it's still delicious. So mm. th- that's how I see poke. Like, it's still a, a, a delicious thing. So hopefully the bad ones will eventually get weeded out. But it's now part of... Our network. It's now part of the category of foods that are available. To Poke us. here to stay. Detroit pizza. Maybe that's not going to keep spreading everywhere. Well, I like the idea that the good ones will stay. I think it'll stay. I mean, like I said, people love pizza so much that it's, <laughs> there's room in the pizza market. <laughs> there's room. There's always yeah. room. There's infinite room in New York's pizza market. Okay, so wrapping up, Serena, you had something about about Japanese chains. Something that a lot of restaurants from Japan are coming to New York, and when they come here, they don't just want to open one; they want to open a million. They, they <laughs> so you get the press releases, and they're like, "This is the first of many." So you talk to them, and you're like, "Oh, are you planning to open more?" Like um, Ichiran, the ramen shop, for example. When they open, they open in Bushwick, in an area that there's not a lot of people, there's not a lot of mm-hmm. traffic. And it's because they got they wanted a huge warehouse space so they can make their noodles there, because they were thinking they're going to mm-hmm. open like a ton of them. They wanted a lot of them, and then Ikinari Steakhouse. Gone insane. They've already opened their second location. Yeah, but they... I mean, but what's interesting about what they did is they it's a standing steakhouse in Japan and they came here all like we're gonna do like we're gonna overtake the New York steakhouse scene and we're gonna do all these standing steakhouses and now like six months after they opened, they're like, Okay, well we're gonna add chairs for Americans. <laughs> New Yorkers <laughs> are like, uh uh-uh. uh. I just don't wanna do it. Yeah. <laughs> but they're opening their their plan is to open six locations imminently. The second one just opened this week. Yeah, they've already applied for liquor licenses for all these different spaces. Like, they have spaces locked down. I think, like, in Japan, their locations are very close to transit, and things are so crowded and busy, and so standing dining is a huge thing in Japan. It's part of the culture. There's a lot of in these um, business hubs. So uh, business people, they want to have a really nice meal, but they don't have much time, and um, so they'll just go in and they'll stand. It's really fast, and they have some good steak, and they leave. But uh, the first one they opened here was like in the East Village. So Americans are lazy. <laughs> I'm all for Japanese chains. Bring them all. They've been pretty good. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, they're tasty. So, uh, Stephanie, do you have any any guesses? Any any calls for 2018? Any anything you want to predict here? Oh God, we'll play it on the 2019 <laughs> show. <laughs> I feel like. Um. I think we're going to see just more and more kind of throwback dining. Um, I think people are looking for some comfort. And just like it happened in the recession around 2008, people wanted some comfort food. And I think here people are really enjoying kind of being able to walk off the street of their, you know, bomb lives right now (laughs) and just have a nice throwback cocktail and be taken care of. And I think we're seeing that a little bit more. Serena, you got one? 
Well, my worry is that 2017 was generally a very boring year for dining. As far as new restaurants go, there weren't a ton of people taking risks and trying new things. And I think part of it is that labor costs are going up. It's a lot harder to open a restaurant. The environment is more... Uh, tenuous and people are kind of scared. Rent is going up, blah, 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 blah. It's very, very difficult to run a restaurant in New York City right now. And my fear is that it's not getting any easier and that 2018 will just be more huge restaurateurs with a lot of cash trying to do something reliable um, that they know is going to get people in the door. So like more pizza restaurants in 2018, yawn. I like don't care that much about that. So my hope is that people, some people will still be taking risks and some interesting things will pop up in 2018, but I am dubious. Yeah, hmm. make take risks, and we'll we'll get excited on Eater, and you'll be able to tell. <laughs> <I> promise. <laughs> so next up, we have Bill Addison, Eater's ever roving restaurant critic. Hey, Bill, welcome to the show. Prepare to get grilled on some national trends. I'm ready. We are going to do a lightning round with Bill. Let's do Mm -hmm. it. Hi, Bill. Hi. (laughs) Bill, you hate preparing for things, right? This is an inside joke, listeners, because Dan (laughs) knows that I over-prepare for everything. So that's why you're trying to throw me off. Bill does not like surprises. But I'm ready for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm nimble. I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. In or out, shishito peppers. Oh, so done. Ugh, I hate when they even bring them up as specials. (laughs) But they're still everywhere. Everywhere, because they're easy to grow. I mean, so they're not going anywhere. This doesn't mean I have to order them. So enjoy your grilled Uh, blackened shishito peppers. uh, All right, ube. Ah, good one. Um, Ube, I say, is in, and people like colorful food. So I say that, like, ube is going to be around for a little bit. What is ube? Ube is a purple yam. Uh, Aesop soap. <laughs> Love it when I encounter it in restaurants. Was with you um, in L.A. on the way to get a drink, and you almost made us late for dinner to stop and buy some products there. That's true. <laughs> uh, hot chicken. Best ever. Um, well, you should go to Prince's first in Nashville and have the original, and then understand where it comes from and enjoy it all over the rest of America. But you got to bring the respect to Prince's. Do you think it's going to keep keep spreading across America, or you think this trend is on its way out? I think we're probably peak hot chicken right now. Frankly, I can't imagine that it gets too much more ubiquitous than it is right now. Detroit style pizza. Detroit style pizza on its way up. So happy about that trend. Best, medium, thick. Still on its way up? Yeah, still on its way up. Yep, I think it's spreading. Yep, I think I don't think it's hit peak moment yet because, yeah, the the uh, the coasts are loving it. Other city, cities in the center of America are, like, starting to enjoy that crusty, caramelized, edgy thing. And I think it's conflating with grandma pie, New Jersey-style grandma pie, which I think is also spreading. So between the two of them, it's, like, all rectangle action for the pizza. Uh, soft serve. Hmm. <laughs> Done. Fun, done. fun, wow. fun, fun, and done. But you've seen it everywhere, right? Yeah, I have. I'm bored with it. But that's why I pause for a minute. Like, sometimes I have to be like, do I think it's going to keep spreading? Or do I, is it just because I don't want to see it anymore because I'm sick of it? But I really think, like, it's kind of done. But there isn't a new 
we need a new dairy trend, don't we? And I'm not sure we've seen that new dairy trend. So until like soft serve kefir or whatever that <laughs> starts mm. like popping up, I, I don't I don't think that we've seen the end of, of soft serve ice cream, but I think it's I think we're 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 peak soft serve. Tahini. Good one. Continuing to spread. Because Israeli restaurants Okay, so still are, still gonna be everywhere. I think it's still going to be everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, I'm going to add my two cents and say that I want to see tahini served in Lebanese restaurants and Syrian restaurants and Jordanian restaurants and other beautiful cuisines of the Middle East that are not Israeli, even though I have nothing against Israeli food. But I want to see more cuisines of the Middle East represented in the American restaurant landscape. What about crepe cakes? Ah, that's my favorite. That's my favorite new trend. <laughs> what is it about? I don't like mm-hmm. those things. I think they're, it's part of the whole <laughs> French wave that's spreading through America right now and has no, it's not stopping. And it's kind of part of this. I know I saw or heard other eater editors talking, but I do believe that this whole nostalgia wave that that uh, is happening right now, that French is leading that. And, and in a way that I think is kind of cool because... Even though, like, we say, like, oh, it's French technique with, you know, Cantonese flavors or whatever, like, French, the word French comes up in our food culture over and over again. Like, true French cuisine was really out in this kind of reaction to sort of, like, staunch Americanism. And so it's fun that French food has has reappeared. And then there are things like crepe cakes that come along and, and remind you why French food is just... Rich and delightful. Okay, charcoal. Ooh, good one. Peak charcoal. I, I think I don't think we're going to see too much more charcoal. I'll be. I would like to uh, revisit this one next year and see if suddenly there's charcoal everything. But yeah, I, th- I think I think we're good on the charcoal. Edible flowers. No oh, man. All right, let me think hard about that one for a second because. I feel like I've seen slightly less edible flowers. Like they're becoming a cliche. Like they're the microgreens of of current dining. And so the chefs who loved all the edible flowers are now seeing them everywhere and they don't want to be like everyone else. And so they're starting to use them less. But I still think we're going to see pretty plenty of pretty flowers on food for another year or two. But we're going to see what else comes up in its place, too. Awesome. Thank you, Bill. Thank you both. Next segment, 2018 Trend Watch slash 2017 Year in Review. Adam Musa, Senior Social Media Manager of Eater. Uh, and Instagram, Instagram expert. Wizard. Wizard. Is, is there someone better at Instagram in the in, on the planet? No. That's very generous. I don't think that's quite true. But. Yeah, I mean, realistically, it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Factually incorrect, anyway. but the spirit is right. Yeah, PolitiFact rated that statement. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam, what what did you see a lot of this year? So the, I mean, the thing with Instagram food is like people like the stereotypical thing is that it's very like rainbow Technicolor. Like you have all of this really brightly colored stuff, um, like funfetti croissants, etc. Um, but what was super big on Eater this year was uh, like more muted tones in the food. Like so, cacio e pepe, carbonara, 
dumplings, uh, ramen, all of these things like have like a whitish brownish tone, mm. but these all overperformed like more than anything that we posted this year. Like people go absolutely nuts for like a little twirl of cacio e pepe on, on a plate or like uh, pork dumplings like slathered in chili oil. Mm. It was huge. Every time this year when I was posting this, it would often be like regramming other users' stuff and regramming some of our stuff. Every time I post this, it's going to like engage through the roof. People are going to absolutely love this. Oh, beige, beige is big. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to necessarily say it's going to be a huge trend for for 2018, but I feel like people are finding more joy on the Eater Instagram with more accessible foods and uh, stuff that has like kind of a homey feel to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Food that was made for eating. Yes. And not made for Instagramming. Yeah. I mean, we, I don't want to, I don't want to oversell it. People doing like crazy Instagram shit is still going to be a big deal. Like mm-hmm. people are still going to want to get like something that is bursting with custard or, or, or frosting or whatever and tear it open in like the most disgusting way possible in a close up and <laughs> Don't want to disparage that either because we do some of that because we do enjoy to do that. But uh, I mean, I've seen that a lot. We do that, and a lot of people do that, and it kind of just grosses me out. Yeah, there's. I think there's like a fine line, <laughs> a fine line between like really enjoying this. So when I was in Sydney recently, I was eating these uh, Emperor's Puffs, they're called, um, and they're basically egg waffles filled with custard. And I was tearing. They're thirty five cents each. They're tiny, um, so I bought like so many of them. And I was with my sister tearing them open and trying to get like the perfect tear shot where it's oozing out. So I love doing stuff like that. But the most egregious thing I ever saw was like someone just picking up an entire burrito and tearing it <gasps> open with their hands. And I had to put my phone down. I was really upset. Was by it as it. a it's joke? Like, no, it was literally like, oh wow, look at this great look food at the porn. Inside. Mm, so much like beans and rice and guacamole. Like, no, thank you. Uh, I kind of want to look at that. People are going to continue to tear food open. They're going to continue to like pour cheese over stuff. But the problem with this content style is that it's it's fun, but it becomes like super dude foodie really quickly. Mm. And that's the point at which it becomes like sort of. Guy Fieri territory of like queso slathered donkey sauce, etc. Right, too disgusting to actually eat. Yeah, I guess a trend that we're seeing all over is a return to nostalgia and, and a return to comfort, comfort foods. But I guess within the category of comfort foods, there are foods that perform better than others. Yeah, any if you want like tips for getting more likes on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, news post, you can use post pasta, <laughs> post. Uh, Go eat a nice big plate of cacio e pepe. Cheese or tomato? Always. Always cheese. Uh, the 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 tomato stuff it does fine, but it's always always going to blow up if you've got that sheen of the butter and the cheese and like the cracked pepper over the top. People absolutely go wild for it. That or like go get some dumplings, uh, shaolong bao or like pork dumplings that are that have all this uh, chili paste over the top. It's always going to do really well. Most surprising Instagram success of 2018? We posted a picture of Carbonara that had this huge egg yolk sitting on the top that you like burst and like mix together. And I feel like a person can either look at this and be, wow, this is hideous or wow, that looks delicious. And it was huge on our Instagram. People absolutely went nuts for it. But about half of those people were just like, 
vomit emoji. Who would eat this? This is disgusting. (laughs) So I think like the biggest surprise for me is seeing just how eager people are to either say, wow, that's delicious or wow, that's disgusting and pass like heavy disapproval (laughs) on other people's like food choices. (laughs) Yeah, that's so rude. (laughs) They they did the same. It's kind of loving, right? A little bit. The the vomit emoji? No. It is, but people people will do that on like rare steak. So like rare meat always does well for us as well. Um, so like nice prime rib at a steakhouse, or that always does well. But people are always going to inevitably come on and say, "Hey, that thing's still mooing." They're <laughs> not happy with seeing like all right. of this pink in the image that we've posted. Hey, uh, so for 2018, anything besides food you can actually eat that is also beautiful? Anything else you 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 see coming up on the horizon? I don't want to be disparaging of it, but like really, I suppose it's similar to like food you can actually eat, but like normie stuff. Like I posted a picture of a nice big pile of garlic knots, huge engagement. People love that stuff. Mm-hmm. They, it's, it's not high, not high end and not higher. end like some of the photos that we post, that's like, this is a nice restaurant. No, this is like literally your local pizza takeout. Who's making like garlic knots or like a big, uh, stick of garlic bread. I, I don't want to suggest this because I don't want my Instagram to be clogged up with people like <laughs> taking a photo of their Papa John's. <laughs> Do not take a photo of your Papa John's. But regular normie food. Regular normie food, yeah. Just it's in. Lots of, lots of red sauce and edible flowers are out. Oh, Every good. time I've we posted something. Bill Addison about that. He wasn't sure. He every was time, flip-flopping. Every time I've posted something with edible flowers on the Eater account, it bombs. And... Often those are our own editors' photos. (laughs) So sorry to our editors who have been posting terrible floral photos. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to The Eater Upsell. This has been 2017, a year in review, and a look ahead at 2018 in terms of food, mostly. If you like the show, it'd be really helpful if you could rate it and subscribe to it on iTunes and maybe pass it on to a friend. The Eater Upsell is recorded at the Vox Media Studios in New York City. The show is hosted by Amanda Clute, our editor-in-chief, and me, Daniel Janine. Our studio team is Pedro Alvira, Miles Ewell, Carrie Clements, Paige Bethman, and Alex Allreich, and the executive producer of the show is Maureen Ginone Fitzgerald. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.